Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. So this is the second part of an interview with Stephanie Burns on learning and motivation. In part one, we looked at some myths that we tell ourselves when it comes to learning and motivation. In part two, she's going to delve into strategies that you can put into practice to achieve your goals. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would start there because there's some things that she shares that she builds on in part two that might be a little bit confusing if you don't hear them. This is packed full of information I think you're going to love. So enjoy the conversation. I think a very common phenomena of people, um, students that I've worked with, things that I've experienced myself is getting, getting out to your horse you start playing with your horse and all of a sudden you have, you're, you're actually really enjoying it. So when you were saying, you know, often it's not fun, I know what you're talking about because learning can be awkward and weird and that part of it cannot be fun, but getting out there and starting and doing something with your horse, most people then say, oh my gosh, you know, now I'm having a great time. But then the next day, they still have those same excuses that come up and myself included. I'm not saying, you know, I don't do that. Um, And I think hearing from you saying that that's a normal thing that your brain is trying to keep you comfortable um, is really helpful. But then what do you do? Like, what do you do with those excuses? Okay. Well, two things. First, you're right. So you've got initiating the app. It's the getting out there and then it's sustaining it. And if I were to ask a group of, uh, you know, a hundred people, which of those two behaviors, initiating or sustaining, is more difficult? A lot of people say sustaining it, but the truth is, initiating the action is the hardest right. because you're in a place. Brain, we don't like changing direction. So if I've already come in and I'm sitting on the lounge and I've got the TV on, and I get the thought of going to make dinner, my brain imagines a 3d movie of making dinner which means i got to get up i got to clean things i got to do it and it will go now nah, that's not fun so mm-hmm. it'll start constructing stories about uh, let's just order takeaway or i've already mm-hmm. eaten a bunch today i'll eat breakfast in the morning it will do this i can feel i can hear it i can it's it's very humorous being a human being who's aware of these kind of internal things mm-hmm. so the initiating of action is the hardest behavior to install and um, and it is a, there's a set of strategies for kickstarting it. I don't know if you want to do them now. If you want to talk about maybe doing something more, I can give them to you. But sure. they're not as thorough as as they might be. Well, so, so if if like if you know I'm I'm getting well, I'll I'll give you like a personal example. So a common excuse that would come up for me, especially when I was out in the field teaching. So I'd be teaching all day. I'd get home, and I just was tired. Right. I was like, oh, I'm tired. And I, you know, I can't get to my own horse. And um, so take me from there. Like, and 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 that was an excuse that I was gonna play every day. Sure. Um, now if I were in that situation, I'd do two things. One, I'd look to play with my horse in the morning rather before the clinic. Okay. Number one, because then it's done. Right. right? If, If you do more with your horse later, hallelujah. But as soon as you got that done, 
like your brain goes, okay, we've got that done. Now we can focus on other things. That's one thing I would have done. Second thing is I would have cut off that internal dialogue or that those thoughts that lead to the excuse of I'm tired. I would not allow that to happen. So one of our key strategies is don't think. You just don't. You get in the habit of just getting up and going and not, and if the little brain's coming in going, yeah, no, 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 you're a bit tough. It's just, thank you for sharing, go over there. Right. So one, so we control the mind by stopping what we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the things are things that are influencing whether or not we're going to go. So stop thinking. So Nike's line, just do it, is, you know, it's a great cliche. And it was a good marketing line. It was one of the number one science, you know, lines coming out of the last century. Mm-hmm. Because one of the ways people get things done that they don't want to do or they're looking to avoid is to not think about it. The reality is. In your life, you get a lot of things done because you've trained your brain not to think about it. Or if it does start thinking about it, you've got a little voice in there that says, stop, get your shoes on and get out. You know, it's like it's more commanding. Right. Second strategy is you do think, but you think specifically. You don't willy nilly think about, oh, I'm tired and I'm going to go with my horse. You think about in the future. How good do I feel 10 minutes after I've started? That gets me to the gym, for example. I go to the gym. I hate it. I hate going to the gym, but I go Uh six days a week Mm -hmm. because I know I can hear myself knowing how good I feel 10 minutes after I've gotten there. So that's what I'm thinking about. That's my motivation to go is how good I'm going to feel. I can think about how good food tastes when I'm done. I can think about coming home and putting on my calendar that I made it to the gym, which is like another gold star tick. Mm-hmm. So by it's not. So it is, it is thinking, but it's being very specific about what I'm thinking about. Right. It doesn't always have to be positive. It can be negative. How bad am I going to feel? And if I look at my calendar and there's three days in a row, I didn't go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel how bad am I going to feel if I come home without the dry cleaning that I don't feel like picking up, but I have to iron a shirt in the morning. Well, and that's where like having a steady buddy can come in where you've got that accountability and, oh man, I'm going to feel terrible if I don't show up or if I let you down or yeah. Okay. Because you're weighing these up. It's like, how bad am I going to feel? We've all done that. We've agreed to do something with someone it's coming up to the time we really don't want to do it. We would do anything to get out of it. Right. But the thought of disappointing them or making that phone call or having that person say, you're full of crap. I'm, right. you know, you're, you're lying here. Right. right. The right. thought of that is actually Nick worse emotionally than doing it. So we get mm-hmm. in a car and we go. Right. Right. So in motivation, I said earlier, kids have it lucky because they have external tensions around them, right? Mom, dad, teachers, tests, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Adults don't typically have any external tension and they think, well, but like, you know, if I really wanted it, I'd get out there. I'm clearly weak. I don't have very much discipline. Oh my God, I'm a procrastinator. I'm too old. It was easier when I was a kid. Yeah, it's maybe I'll do next year will be a better time maybe to do this horse thing I'm going to do. Right. Whatever. They go through that because they think needing an external tension makes them weak. No, knowing you benefit from an external tension is 
a strength. Like I know if I'm heading into these projects where I'm doing five years every day, I mean, that's intense to do. I'm going to, one, everybody knows I'm doing it, which means 10,000 people are going, how are you going with your Italian, right? Right. Um, I know I'm going to get that. Two, I always have a teacher. Three, I have very close friends who are constantly checking in with me. And there's no way I'm going to say to so-and-so, oh, I haven't done any study this week. That's not going to happen because that would Mm -hmm. feel so bad. So external tensions, like having teachers or buddies or friends or going and doing clinics or classes Mm -hmm. are really positive because it sets up a dynamic in the brain that says it's it's worse to not do it now than it is to get it done. Right. That's how some people get the dishes done at night because they picture the kitchen being a mess in the morning. Right. And that picture motivates them to get up and go do the dishes. Right. It's like the brain is constantly weighing up the emotional significance of everything you think you're either doing or you're about to do. Thinking right. of it's always doing this calculation. Right. And I think so, that's so powerful. Like what you shared about that, the, the, the idea of, are the things that we tell ourselves, um, the excuses that we make is a natural phenomena of our brain. It's, it's so empowering to know that because I mean, I, I knew that back when I was uh, noticing that pattern of me saying I'm tired. It was like, I said that yesterday and I said it the day before. And, and it works, right? Right. And, <laughs> and I, I know the button. I know. Yes. And, and I was like, you know, I, I kind of do this four-year test. Like in four years, do I want to get better at that? Like, do I want to get really good at being tired and having that be an excuse? Right. But when I reminded myself that that is my brain's job to keep me comfortable, but I want something better. Yes. I want to be something yes. different. Um, And like what you said, then imagine how good it's going to feel when you get there. Because I do think most horses really want it. You do really want it. And once you get there, once you start to do engage with your horse, time, you know, flies by and, you know, but it's, I think for a lot of people, it's the getting there. So this is really helpful. Yeah. You bring a couple things up, like, you know, you're uh, it was great. You recognized that you had the same excuse every day. So you know, we get habits of mind. So the more we engage that that thought worked, your brain goes, oh, I've got a winner here. <laughs> so right. uh, we can just keep you. She's not going to challenge me. Anytime I tell her she's tired, she'll just stop, right? So right. conserve energy, right? right? So it works. It's important to know too that things like procrastination behavior like that, those mechanisms are learned behaviors. We're not born talking to ourselves. We're not born doing that. Imagine if you were teaching if a, if you had a toddler who was learning how to walk but had an adult brain right it would get up scram- and fall on his butt and an adult would go well see i knew i never could do that and that really is hurt maybe maybe next year my legs will be stronger and i'll try walking then and you'd have a whole bunch of adults just bumping around on their bottoms right 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 don't think like that they're just they're little persistence machines they just get up and go again go again go again why because they don't have all that crap going on in their head that an adult brain has right so when i say procrastination is a learned behavior so too is persistence so I'll give you an example how that might come up. So let's say you're a little kid and you come home from school and you've got your bag and your homework 
and mom or dad is there and mom or dad says okay so what kind of homework do you have you go oh i got an art project to do but i got math and i hate math math is so terrible i'm never going to understand math i don't want to go the kids make fun of me i don't want to do math now if mom or dad said oh i get the math is bad i'll tell you what let's do the art project first or why don't you go and play for an hour and then we'll do the math later okay think of the message that just happened there right so the kids externalizing what would otherwise be going on in an adult's internal dialogue right they externalize it and mom's strategy is let's not do that now let's do that later right so the internal mechanism to start happening for you is if what i have to do is hard or i don't like it go do something else right and that gets to be a habit of mind. And then your wee little brain comes up with the most clever way to get you to do it, which in your case is telling you you retire, right? Right. So that's a learned behavior. Now, right. It's if, training for procrastination. Yes, it is. Procrastination is a behavior. It's not, it's, right. not a, it's not a way of being. There's no personality trait. You can't say, I'm a procrastinator. You're not a procrastinator. You might have procrastination behavior polished up like a bright diamond because mm -hmm. you're so good at it because right. no one's ever pointed out what you're doing it's really easy to break as well but let's say when the little kid comes home and mom or dad said uh math let's sit down and get that done first right and you cry and you weep and but you get into it and then before you know it it's done right there's no relief until the action's actually done. So like putting off playing with your horse, putting off doing these things, there's no relief. You might think, oh good, I'm not going out with my horse today. But your little brain's going, oh man, right? You failed again. Right. Like, right. It, there's no relief until you get the dry cleaning. There's no relief until the rubbish is out. There's no relief until it's done. So what that little kid learns is, if what I have to do is hard out of the things I have to do, do the hardest one first. Right. Because there's a palpable relief when it's done. Don't right. have to think about it again for another 24 hours or 48 hours. Yeah. And that's teaching persistence behavior. So I'm not banging on bad about mom or dad. I mean, you know, parents don't like seeing their little kids under distress. So, mm -hmm. you know, mom feels bad because you feel bad. And so one way mom wants to feel good is if you feel better, so go play. Right. 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 Now mom's got relief. It didn't benefit the kid in any way, but it benefits the parent's emotional tone in that situation. And it is perfectly normal. But if you know this and you're working with kids or I work with adults, it's like first cab off the rank, it was most adults is doing the hard stuff first. If I'm working with adult musicians who are just starting out, Find the thing you're weakest at, the thing you, which is the thing they avoid the most, right? right. Find the thing that you're weakest at in, and that's the first 15 minutes of every single practice session. You want to get that to, it's a no-brainer. Now, last thing I'll say about this, motivating, if you're going to be doing something every day for a decade or more, it's, you don't want to have to wake up every day and motivate yourself. It's tiring. You don't want to wake up every day going, do I feel like playing with my horse? Because if you ask that question, your brain's going to give you a bunch of pictures and the answer is going to be no, right? right? So at that point, you want to shift into making playing with your horse a habit. Mm -hmm. It's like brushing your teeth. It's like, I well, I study a lot of music. I play every day. Um, I never ask myself, do I feel like practicing? 
it's just a job. It's, it's just a job. And so it, there's a set time I go, I do it, and then it's done, it's done. Because I've been doing this particular project for eight and a half years. And there's no way I would motivate myself every single day, seven days a week, for eight and a half years if I had to wake up every day and go, and do I feel like practicing? Right. Well, when am I going to practice? Oh, maybe this afternoon. Maybe, forget it. It never would have worked. So well, I and <laughs> like, maybe what yeah, and like what you were saying, if you if you're asking that question, you're just giving your brain an opportunity to oh, yes. give those excuses. That are- give me some yes, a brain. Yeah. I want your input here. Yeah, now, so I guess you know the point there is to say you know you have a brain that functions as part of your conscious you, mm-hmm. and that part of the conscious you has goals and it has things it wants to do. Mm-hmm. But that's very separate from the mechanisms in the brain that are designed to keep you alive. Right? right that uh, right. their prime objective is energy in energy out and you know basically keeping you alive long enough to reproduce mm-hmm. so you have to get that part of your brain if you just give over to that because it will do whatever it can to conserve your brain doesn't that part of your brain does not care if you ever get good with your horse it, it right. doesn't care it, right. it doesn't care if i learn Bach minuets it doesn't care if i get my ph it does not care mm-hmm. i care mm-hmm. conscious me cares right. so i have to use one part of the brain the mind to to control the other part now i like that it does its job but when it's trying to keep me from doing 15 minutes of italian it's not really saving me anything. It's not like I'm not going to die studying 15, doing 15 minutes of Italian practice every day, right? right? So I need to have a negotiation with this. Going, right. no, sorry, thank you very much, but don't think about it or do think about it. Yeah. Uh, just get it started and, and see how you feel in 10 minutes from now. You can always stop then. So it's that initiating, getting that action. But again, shifting things into habits becomes another part of this puzzle if there's something i have to do every day for years like i've just spent two and a half years writing with my left hand um every day for two and a half years because i wanted to i needed a visual demonstration of how fast adults learn compared to kids interesting i was going to go in a book Uh i thought i need something visual Uh so i thought okay my handwriting with my left hand was terrible it was about the equivalent of say a Uh five-year-old and i thought well this will be interesting i'll do 15 minutes a day with my left hand every day and i thought okay what do i know now as an adult that benefits me that i didn't know as a kid so i didn't need to know how to form letters i didn't need to know how to hold the pen blah blah so i had some advantages as an adult and then there were things though that you do as a kid that were important to bring forward like you don't start with a ballpoint pen right because it's Mm -hmm. too slippery Mm -hmm. so you start with a pencil or a crayon which is more sticky right Mm -hmm. sticky on the paper Mm -hmm. you tend to write larger than smaller Mm -hmm. so i adopted took strategies from when we're teaching kids at that level Mm -hmm. and two and a half years later my handwriting is probably like a good 13 14 year old it's not quite it's not fluent like an adult in the sense it has no personality in, in it uh-huh. but it's very i'll send you some photos of it. it's very yeah, clean, very tight so in two and a half years doing what it would have taken a child 10 years to do mm-hmm. it was to demonstrate again that adults bring things into uh, a learning equation that children just don't have i mean right. they, just, they just don't yet have the networks that enable them to do that so right Anyway, so the handwriting had to be a habit. So I was like, I'd make a coffee, 
and I'd pull my book out and I, I was doing it with a foreign language. So I didn't, I didn't want to think, I didn't want to go, what do I feel like writing today? I never feel like writing anything. Right. So I just said, just what you do as a kid, you copy, right? You just copy things. So right. I had my little foreign Scottish Gaelic foreign language thing and one lesson a day. And that's what I would write with my left hand. Interesting. That's really interesting. All focused on the quality of my left hand, right? So anyway, those are the kind of projects I do, but they're very similar to what people are doing with their horses. There's yeah. a billion skills with horses. And now it's time for a short commercial break. I'd like to invite you to join in on a brand new Facebook group called A Learner's Journey. The idea of this group came about because of all of the emails and comments that I'd get in response to these podcasts. And people would share their thoughts and stories about their journeys. And I just was feeling like it's a shame that I'm the only one that's reading these. So I came up with the idea for this group. But the group is way more than just responding to the podcast. It's a safe and supportive place for horse lovers to connect and inspire each other. And there are folks from all over the world. It's a wonderful, positive, inspiring place to be. So I'd love for you to join in. All you need to do is search for A Learner's Journey on Facebook and you should see the group. I'll also put a link to it in the show notes. So I hope you'll join us. Now, back to the conversation with Stephanie. So I had the opportunity to talk with Stephanie a few weeks after this conversation, and it happened to be in the beginning of January. And I was really curious to hear her thoughts on New Year's resolutions. So I wanted to include a little bit of that conversation because I think that you'll find it interesting. And if you're like a lot of people at this time of year, um, if your resolutions have kind of gone down the toilet, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Let's talk about uh, New Year's resolutions a little bit. Okay. Because we're now, you know, uh, when people are watching this, it'll be even further into January. Right. Um, what, uh, what can you share with us about New Year's resolutions and what happens yeah. to folks because often, you know, they're, they're great for the first week of January. Sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's, I don't know why people even do that because it's a terrible time of year. You're out of your routine. You've just come through the holidays. You're not kind of in, in your normal routine where you can start to calculate when is a good time for me to be doing this. So one, I would never set it. If, I wouldn't set New Year's resolutions. I would make decisions to, to do something over, say, the course of a year or over the course of the next three months at, at, at what feels like the right time for me, which is when I'm back in my normal routine, the kids are in school, I'm back at work, you know, all those things are bubbling. So one, it's just a best rotten time of year. We set up so many expectations and why we set them is because we're picturing the end goal. So, you know, if the new year's resolution is to drink less alcohol and because we're going to be fitter and we're going to lose weight, the picture we get in our head that's compelling is us being slimmer and healthier, right? That's over there. What we never think about is we don't think about what's it going to feel like every day to not drink. What are the circumstances under which that's going to be problematic? It's like if I set a goal to learn to snowboard, let's say at a certain particular level, 
Mm -hmm. I can get really excited. I can buy the clothes. Mm -hmm. I can go to me. I can hang out on hot toddies in the thing. I'm going to have a ball. Mm -hmm. But what kills me is that when I go and I have the lived reality of learning to do it, Mm -hmm. falling, being cold, being laughed at, running Mm -hmm. over the kids' school, which makes me a pariah on the mountain, whatever those things are. When Mm -hmm. I now go have the lived experiences and they're frustrating, and we Mm -hmm. talked about this in podcast one, they're frustrating or humiliating or anxiety provoking, my natural instinct is going to be to pull away and stop doing those things. So for New Year's resolution or resolutions or goals that you have, uh, the game is recognized, yeah, the big picture is kind of fun, but it doesn't do you really any good. What you need to do is you need to think through what's going to be the experience of actually going, be it every day or three times a week, doing this activity. And that's from getting dressed driving there, making the kids lunches a bit earlier, negotiating with your spouse to do, to help you with it, whatever. You have to think of all those things and because they're going to become reality. So rather than not finding parking at the university, which is a pain in the ass here. So, mm-hmm. you know, not finding parking as the reason why next week I don't go. When I go to, I feel like going to school tonight. I think about, Oh God, I'm going to be in traffic and I can't find parking. Now nah, I won't go. Right. I've thought about it. Now it doesn't make it less, but at least when I'm doing it, I'm going, I know in new in advance and I'm not going to process this as frustration. This is just part and parcel of what it takes for me to do what I want to do. Right. So I think people are looking at going to the gym or running or get a, an honest assessment of where are you at with that. It's recognizing it's not going to be fun. I mean, you can have some good moments, but sure. it essentially is a chore, right? It's, a, huh. it's like, it's, it's, it's challenging to do things mm-hmm. and be prepared for that and get as much support around it as possible in advance of starting. So, you know, and then, and also with New Year's resolution, we try to do too much too quickly. So this, uh, this is a year I'm going to learn to play three songs on my guitar, right? Great. I think that's lovely. Mm-hmm. But if you don't think about Okay, I'm going to have to go to a lesson once a week and pay for that. I'm going to have to buy a guitar and I have no idea what I'm doing there. So I'm going to have to get some support. I'm going to then have to practice at least twice a week. And the family's around and they're going to be hearing me and I'm going to feel embarrassed. So how am I going to navigate that? My fingers are going to get really, really sore and they're going to feel really awkward. That's part and parcel. If I know your fingers get sore for three months, fine. They get sore for three months and you're over it. If you don't think about that in advance, the first time they get sore, you'll stop playing. Right. So New Year's resolutions to me are just like this point in time that allows you to fail once a year and make yourself feel terrible. So, right. <laughs> right? So I wouldn't do it. I mean, how many, you know, if you follow Twitter and stuff around that time, people will say, oh my God, this is the 30th year in a row I didn't keep up with my new year's resolution you know what they're not learning stop doing that right don't right. do that it's stupid. right there's right. All, you know so for me i set goals for sure in the beginning mm-hmm. of the year but do some time to think about what's it going to feel like for me to do the things i have to do to do that get myself organized so when i'm experiencing the troubles you know the niggles about doing it they don't surprise me Right. I'm better prepared. I know that it's only the first two months that are challenging. And then after that's going to get easier. So I just take them off the calendar. I just wait, you know, I just like if you're starting to run, it's a couple months before you feel, you know, comfortable in your skin doing that. So I would just yeah. take off my three runs a week, right. wait till March. 
because in March, I know I'm going to feel better, but I'm not going to feel better if I haven't done it and I have to start all over again in March. Right, right, right. right. So it's it's the breaking it down again. Breaking. And I like I like how you're talking about how, because I think it's when when we're setting resolutions or even goals any time of year, right? I think a lot of people will set a goal, but then that's where they stop and they aren't thinking through like what you said think through what are all of the steps that you're going to need to do to get to that goal and start with step one as yeah. opposed to just set the goal and then kind of go out there willy-nilly um yeah. so i think that's that's really that's really helpful because it goes back to the first podcast we did you know that the precursor for achieving anything is frequent and consistent actions in the direction of the goal right now and most of those actions in a beginner or early stage, you pretty well, I need one lesson and two practice sessions. And then, you know, I need to do that for three months and then I can look at where I'm at, right? Um, yeah, it's the same thing because then when it's action to action, then I can apply the strategies to motivate myself when I don't feel like doing it. You know, I know how right. to say, wake up in the morning, the very first thing, like I practice music every day. It's the very first thing I do every day. Because if mm -hmm. it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I go, do I feel like practicing? Answers for sure going to be no, right? So it's right. just something I do. Just do it. Just sit down and get that done. And then it's done for the day. So, you know, you can apply the persistence strategies and build and strengthen those because they'll then relate to everything you do in life. Right. Every single thing you do in life that gets short-circuited because of procrastination being natural. Mm -hmm. Um, and you want to be able to override it to get things done. And then maybe in a, you know, five years, you can set a new year's resolution, have a good chance of actually achieving it. Right. Right. So if you're already a good, effective goal setter, go for it with new right. year's resolutions. Right. If not choose a better time of year. Yeah. Just choose a better time. Like, yeah. you know, I, I oftentimes say in my life, February is a time when everything kind of settles down and gets back more to normal. Um, January is just too, I get too many family members coming. I've got this, I've got, there's right. a party here. There's, yeah. you know, he's working, um, you know, Australia because it's summer. So it's just not a good time for me to do that. And so, yeah. you know, I would tend to have a February, March start time or something like that. And, uh, and less strategy for that, by the way, is people can, even in January, start to practice initiating the action. They don't have to follow through. Just start, learn how to get up and begin something. So I would pick any weird goal, like go to Duolingo and pick a foreign language and make a commitment to do one lesson a day, which takes about mm -hmm. 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got a little timer so you can see the days adding up. You pick on 12 days in a row kind of thing. Takes So what you're doing is you're really practicing starting something that's very short. Mm -hmm. um, you could do it with housekeeping chores that you normally don't get to, like cleaning up all the windows, or you could do it by cleaning out the garage, but you don't do the whole thing. You just do like, I'm going to go to the garage, I'm going to see how much I can do it in 10 minutes. And at the end of 10 minutes, I'm done for the day. Right. And then tomorrow, I want to motivate myself to go do another 10 minutes. So it can be reading books, it can be gardening, it can be anything, but you want to do, you know, three, four, five weeks every single, every day, seven days a week. 10 minutes a day mm -hmm. and that will give you a really good leg up 
for what you're going to need when you start to do things that are are important to you and you and you do have a stake in so yeah that's awesome yeah what that, do they say mic mic drop mic drop yeah we just call it you know play it's playing a game you're playing how much can i do in 10 minutes right. set a timer go timer goes off you're done yeah that's it and do it again tomorrow and do it again that's tomorrow cool. so no matter where you are you go to your desk and you when that trigger goes off and you do it yeah and do things like that in the morning if you can mornings are always better that's awesome that's great yes yeah thank you for that no worries you may have heard me say this in previous podcasts but i just think it's so cool that people like stephanie exist people that have like just taken on a subject and become an expert at it by putting, it's basically their life's work. They've put in so much time, so much uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and then we get to benefit from the knowledge. So I'm so grateful for Stephanie and also her generosity in sharing what she knows. There is one thing that I wanted to share with you that she um, emailed me after our conversation and she shared. And so I'm going to read to you from her email. This has to do with her coaching me with my uh, excuse that I had been using of being too tired. And I think it's important that you hear her words. So she says, we talked about the pattern of excuse too tired that you identified as present when you think about being with your horse after teaching. The context for that comment and your energy behind it led me in one direction. How clever is your brain to have found a surefire way to get its human to not go play with its horse? But on reflection, I wanna add that it might be true. Our brains are not sinister and they do have a job to do in keeping us safe and well. You are talking about going out to be with a horse, which is different than sitting to practice the piano for which there is no risk if you are in fact tired. When I think of the demands of teaching, a day on stage for me was equivalent to running a marathon every day. It may well be that in fact you are too tired in your brain's estimation. So there's wisdom to not override all of its inputs, but to evaluate them. I would suggest the next couple of times you are in that situation and you get that too tired message, spend a minute or two to check in with yourself. You'll know pretty easily if you are just blowing smoke up your own backside with an excuse or if that is a message that you rightfully should pay attention to. Thanks for listening. I just don't want the message to be that we should always override those signals. That would not be right. Just start to tease out the distinction between the truth and the excuse. So I really thought it was important to share that with you. I appreciate you being a part of this. I would love to hear your thoughts and also Stephanie and I have been talking about some ideas for the future. So if there are any requests of different things that you'd want to hear from her, please let me know. Until then, thank you for being a part of the adventure and have a wonderful rest of your day.